All right. Good evening. Welcome to Lakewood Bible Chapel. Please open your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be starting in verse 15. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of of Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> the way that we live our lives, the day in and day out walk that we walk matters. And as we have studied Ephesians, we have seen Paul describe two kinds of walks. He has described the walk of the unregenerate in Ephesians chapter 2 saying that we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And in chapter 4, he described the walk of the unregenerate as walking in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God. Paul has also labored to teach us how one who is saved, one who is regenerate, One who is an authentic believer in Christ should walk. He said in chapter 2 that a Christian walks in the works that God has prepared beforehand. In chapter 4, he said that a Christian walks the worthy walk. And in chapter 5, he has exhorted believers to walk in love and to walk as children of light. And in this evening's text, we will see that Paul now exhorts us to examine our walk in order to ensure that we are walking not as unwise, but as wise, and thus exhorts believers to walk the wise walk. Verses 15 and 16 read as follows. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul has just finished exhorting us to walk in the light. And to not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul has just exhorted us to awake from the slumber of our former lives and to arise from the dead. He has just finished exhorting us to walk as children of light. And now, in light of these things, he says, therefore, look carefully how you walk. Notice how Paul doesn't say, look at how you walk, but look carefully at how you walk. These words look carefully imply an examination. They imply that this is a priority, that this is something that we should do intentionally and pay close attention to. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments on this urgency and seriousness when he says the following. This, he says, is tremendously important. 
See to it then, make certain that you do it. Take heed to this matter. Give it your undivided attention. It is an arresting statement. It is a command. It pulls us up, as it were. He is addressing us and asking us to listen for all that we are worth. Now, Paul, in combining the words wise and walk in our text this evening, is telling us something about what he means when he talks about wisdom. Paul's definition for wisdom is rooted in the Hebrew understanding of wisdom. The Greeks only conceived of wisdom as something that had to do with the mind. It was an intellectual notion that has no real grounds or practical use for real life. The notion of wisdom to the Greeks is mere pontification with no implications for real life. Whereas the Hebrew notion of the word wisdom includes the mind, but roots that notion of the mind in real practical living. Hebrew wisdom has a direct implication on real life. And it is this latter notion of wisdom that Paul has in mind when he says we should walk not as unwise, but as wise. The wisdom he speaks of should be playing itself out in our daily lives. Brothers and sisters, have you looked carefully at your walk lately? What does your life and your character look like day in and day out in light of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul's exhortation is to look carefully at this and ask yourself, are you walking as unwise or are you walking as wise? And so the natural question, the logical question is, what does the wise walk look like? Well, that is the question that the rest of our text answers this evening. And there are four things that Paul describes for us. First, the wise walk is a walk that is redeeming the time. Second, the wise walk is the walk that understands the will of the Lord. Third, the wise walk is the walk that is filled with the Spirit. And fourth, the wise walk is a walk in which we are subject to one another. And so Paul tells us first that the wise walk is a walk that is redeeming the time, and then he tells us why. He says, because the days are evil. Now, the epistle to the Ephesians was written somewhere around A.D. 62. And you know what? From all the way back then to this very day, 1,961 years later, The days are still evil. There is really nothing new under the sun. Now, evil may be revealing itself in different ways, but whatever evil looks like in our day compared to the days of Paul, Paul's exhortation applies all the same. Paul tells us that because the days are evil, that we should be people who redeem the time. This notion of redeeming the time essentially means that in light of the evil days in which we live, we are to be a people that look for and take advantage of opportunities that God places before us. We as believers should take every opportunity to personally build ourselves up in our walk with the Lord. We should also take every opportunity to exhort one another in the same way. And we should take every opportunity to preach the gospel to those that don't know Christ. 
It's important to realize that Paul isn't just exhorting us to not waste our time. Rather, his exhortation is to be proactive in taking advantage of every opportunity, to be proactive to seize the moment, to be proactive to make the most of it all for the glory of God. And so on account of this, Paul says in verse 17, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. It is a foolish thing to not care about understanding the will of the Lord. And why would someone not care about understanding the will of the Lord? Well, because they are so caught up in the things of this world. Because they deny that there is a God in the first place. Psalm 14.1 says, The wicked fool says in his heart, There is no God. Paul is saying, don't be like the fool who says in his heart there is no God. On the contrary, we should be a people who, unlike the fool, say in our hearts there is a God, and then live our lives in light of that truth. Paul exhorts us in Romans 12 too, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. It is clear then that there are two options, conformity to this world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind for the purpose of approving what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And our minds are renewed when we are redeeming the time by reading His Word, by meditating on His promises, by listening to sermons preached by godly men by reading of those whom God has used mightily for His glory. So believer, are you being foolish or wise today? Do you understand the will of the Lord? Are you a person that people would describe as discerning? And if you are an unbeliever here with us this evening and you are finding yourself wondering what the will of the Lord is, if you want to be discerning, if you want wisdom then let me plead with you to open your heart to Jesus Christ, who is calling you right now to stop striving in your own wisdom. Let me plead, you, plead with you to repent of your sin and to put your faith in Him as the one who has saved you from the wrath of God. We cannot do it ourselves. Trust in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is of utmost importance. So as Paul is exhorting us to understand what the will of the Lord is, he then turns our attention to the next way that we walk the wise walk in verses 18 and 19 when he says, and do not get drunk with wine for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And here we have a great contrast. Paul contrasts getting drunk with being filled with the Spirit. Why does he do this? Getting drunk with wine is one way in which those in this world who do not know Christ seek satisfaction and, and fulfillment. In fact, getting drunk with wine was used in pagan rituals to create a supposed mystical union with the gods. Whereas we as believers are not to find our satisfaction, our 
fulfillment or fullness from a substance, but from a person. And not just any person, but the triune persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is interesting to remember what took place in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the effects of being filled with the Spirit were uncharitably misunderstood as being drunk with wine. Acts 2.4 2, confirms that these men were indeed filled with the Holy Spirit when it says the following, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, be- and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then in verse 6, we learned that these men were speaking in the languages of those in the multitude. Verse 6 says, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And then in verses 12 to 13, we see the astonishment at what was happening, as well as the mockery of it. And they all continued in astonishment and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, were saying, they are full of new wine. It is possible that they were saying that this isn't anything new, that that this is merely another example of the pagan religions of the time getting drunk to commune with their gods. But Peter makes it clear that this is not the case. They are not drunk. Verse 15 says, For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is the third hour of the day. These men were not drunk, but instead were filled with the Holy Spirit. And James Montgomery Boyce says the following in light of Acts 2. In Acts, there are ten occasions at Pentecost and afterward when an individual or group of individuals is said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit. In each case, the common factor is that the persons involved immediately bore testimony to Jesus. Paul says that the wise man should desire to be so filled with God's Spirit that he might bear a faithful and effective testimony to Jesus Christ. Quite obviously, this will be a testimony conveyed by the upright character of his or her life which is what Paul has been talking about all along. We have to be careful of assigning a mystical and unbiblical understanding of this term filled with the Holy Spirit. It must be understood that when a person is saved, when every person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us, to reside in our hearts. And this is made clear in many places, one of which is 2 Corinthians 2. Chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 21 and 22, which say, Now he who established, or establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave the pledge of the Spirit in our hearts. And the important point is that when this happens, in the moment that we are saved, we are not receiving a portion of the Holy Spirit. And then expecting the rest to come at some point in the future. No, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us and comes in all of His fullness. Brothers and sisters, marvel at the fact that you have received the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness if you are saved. Right here and right now, this is true about you. And now think about the immediate implication of this from the chapter that we just finished studying. Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It makes sense that if we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit residing in us, and we are living our lives contrary to God's will, contrary to His commands, that it would grieve Him. He's right there with us when we are sinning. What a motivation to say no to temptation and no to sin. God is with you in every moment of your sin. Every moment you give into the flesh, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's right there experiencing it alongside of you and grieving because of what you are doing. Let me echo with Paul. May we never grieve the Holy Spirit in this way. And so the question is, if we have all of the Holy Spirit in His fullness from the start, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let me just say first, this is not just a mere suggestion by Paul in our text this evening to to be filled with the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, it's a command, which makes it all the more urgent to understand what this filling is. Well, I'll give you the answer in one word, obedience. Okay, maybe two words. Another way of understanding this is submission. It is of no coincidence that the last way in which we walk the wise walk is in submission first to the Holy Spirit and then to one another, as we'll see in a minute. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to live a life of obedience in submission to the Holy Spirit. A very helpful passage that sheds light on this is Romans 8, verses 12 to 14, which says, So then, brothers, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And so we see that those who are Christ's, those who have been saved, those who have been baptized in the Spirit and thus have the fullness of the Spirit in them, it is these people that should be filled with the Spirit. It is these people that should be putting to death the practices of the body by the Spirit. It is these people that should be led by the Spirit of God. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4 where we will see that even Jesus Christ, as the incarnate man, lived with obedience in submission to the Holy Spirit, that he lived as a man filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Now take a look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The man, Jesus, was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Here we find the same historical narrative that is written about in Matthew 4, but from Luke's perspective. And how does he describe Christ's going into the wilderness? Again, look at verse 1, which says, Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. 
returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Christ had no lack of the Holy Spirit to need to be filled up. And by the way, neither do we. Particularly if you define this term filled in the sense of something like a bucket being filled with water or a tank of gas being filled at the pump. But as I've already mentioned, that's not what this word means. On the contrary, a person who is filled with the Spirit is living out the fullness of the Holy Spirit that resides within them, and naturally their lives will be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit in obedient submission to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-25 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. In light of this, Paul explains for us what it might look like when we live our lives in such a way that we are completely controlled by the Spirit, in in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in our passage this evening, in Ephesians 5, 19 to 20, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So musical worship is one characteristic of the person who is filled with the Spirit. Musical worship in a corporate sense, worship that takes place in such a way that we're speaking to one another in this manner. There is also a sense in these verses of fellowship with the brethren. And this worship is ultimately to the Lord. One of the biggest issues that we have with regard to this form of corporate musical worship in the church today is that far too often the songs we sing are not to the Lord. Sometimes they're not even about the Lord. On the contrary, they are about someone else, and far too often they are sung to ourselves. There are two questions that are helpful to ask when considering whether or not a worship song is honoring to the Lord. First, is it directed to the Lord? And second, does it express a correct understanding of our Lord? Another characteristic of the person who is filled with the Spirit is an attitude of thankfulness, as we see in verse 20. These are people that are always giving thanks. Notice also how it doesn't say that we only give thanks for the nice things, the answers to prayer, that we only give thanks when things go the way that we want them to go. No, the one who is filled with the Spirit gives thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And here Paul has brought us right back into this topic of the sovereignty of God 
There is no other foundation upon which you can legitimately and honestly give thanks for all things, especially the difficult things, unless those difficult things have a good and God-glorifying purpose in your life. And bad things can't have a good and God-glorifying purpose in your life unless God has sovereignly ordained them to take place for a purpose in His plan. Brothers and sisters, may we have thankful hearts in all things, knowing that God is working in them for our good and for His glory. Take note that everything that we've just been discussing is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's not mystical. On the contrary, it's an obedient submission in which the Holy Spirit has control over our lives. As Paul has been explaining what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God, he then turns our attention again in verse 21 to the fourth and final way in which we walk the wise walk. Verse 21 says, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, it's important to realize that while we're wrapping up this evening's passage, Paul is actually introducing the next theme of his epistle. He will go on in chapter 5 and speak of submission in marriage. And then in chapter 6, submission with regard to children and submission with regard to slaves and masters. But the whole point is that this submission is rooted in the wise walk. It is the fruit of the careful examination that Paul first called us to in this evening's text to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We, we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so our submission to be subject to one another is not a baseless submission for submission's sake alone. On the contrary, it is a submission that is rooted in the fear of Christ. Our submission, our being made subject to one another is grounded in our submission, our being made subject to Christ Himself first. He is Lord, after all. And to live our lives with Christ as Lord is to live our lives subject to one another, particularly in the ways that Paul will go on to describe in the rest of this chapter and the next. Brothers and sisters, may we take Paul's command under serious consideration in our own lives, to closely look at whether or not our walk is unwise or wise, whether or not we are redeeming the time because the days are evil, whether or not we are understanding the will of the Lord, whether or not we are filled with the Spirit of God, walking in obedient submission to Him, and whether or not we are living lives in submission to one another. These things are the marks of the wise walk, and thus should be marks of our own walk. Please don't leave this evening without examining whether or not this is the case in your own life. Amen? All right, now I invite Noel to come back up and close us with a final song after I pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Paul has laid out for us in such clear terms what the wise walk looks like. Lord, may we be a people who take these things seriously, Lord, and we examine our own lives. Lord, that we would 
desire to honor you in the way that we live, that we would walk as wise and not unwise, Lord. Show us the areas of our heart, of our lives, Lord, where we need to make changes. And Father, give us the courage to step out and do so. In Jesus' name, amen.